All I can say and contain the weight of your name, and all I can say is holy, holy, holy are you. One more time, let's lift it up to him. And I fall on my face with angels and saints, and all I can say is holy, holy, holy. heart can't contain the weight of your name and all I can say is holy, holy, holy are you. God, in this moment we offer ourselves to you as a sacrifice of praise. Lord, though anything that we could possibly do would fall short of your glory, we still in obedience lift our hands to you, lift our hearts to you. God, we honor you, not just for what you've done, but for who you are. For there is none like you as it has been proclaimed, and there never will be anyone like you. So God, in the next few moments, as we break open your word, and as we look at what you have to say about us coming to you in worship, Lord, I pray that our hearts are open that we are good ground for the seed of the word to grow in us. Lord, I pray that your power and your majesty and your presence would be with us in this moment. Lord, that you would touch us where we are in the way that you know we need. We honor you. We give you praise and thanksgiving. In Christ's name, let the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated if you're able Thank you, worship team. Well, good morning, everyone. All right. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> Amen. Hey, thank you for coming. Thank you for taking your Sunday morning to be here and worship uh, as we exalt God and lift His name. It's, a, it's an awesome time to be able to do that. And we thank you. Uh, whether you're here on site or you're with us uh, by way of the World Wide Web. And so wherever you may, might be on this planet, thank you for taking time to be here with us. Uh, for those who might be our first-time guests, whether here or uh, by streaming, thank you so much for doing that. I particularly thank you that it was announced that I was preaching today and you still came. So thank you. Uh, no, no, no applause. Um, so today, uh, we're going to talk about some elements of worship, and we've been in this series, and pastors have been teaching us, taking us through the Great Commission, taking us through the Great Commandment about loving God. We've talked about loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and um, today we're going to look at uh, what that looks like in worship and uh, hopefully glean from the life of probably one of the greatest worshipers uh, that the Bible accounts of, uh, King David, and we're going to learn some things about him. So, um, in just a moment of really transparency, um, there has been some anxiety with this for me, and I feel there's been times uh, throughout the last couple weeks where I certainly felt uh, the enemy fighting this. And that does two things to me, kind of it terrifies me, JP, but also excites me. Because whenever the enemy is fighting, that means God's doing something. Let me say that again. Whenever the enemy is fighting, that means God's doing something. 
So if you feel him fighting in your life, guess what? Good chance God's doing something or about to do something. So we want to, I, I just, I covet your prayers this morning. I want us to really hear what God has to say about this. We've also prepared something uh, for you. So in talking about worship, the next 30 days, we have a devotional for you. And the devotional will come uh, primarily by way of Facebook. And so every morning at 6 o'clock, that day's devotional will pop up. I realize that not everyone is uh, on social media, and so we do have uh, the devotional books, and they are right back underneath our community vision sign. And so if you would rather have the hard copy, you are more than welcome to take that and make that a part of your day. If uh, neither one of those work for you and you want something else like a PDF file or something like that, uh, just see me and we'll be sure to get that to you. So as we start this morning, uh, I'm going to start with a video. And let me just kind of preface this video by saying this is just a fun video. Don't look for any kind of overarching spiritual theme or deep spiritual meaning because there is none. All right? It's just a video that kind of sets up something that I want to... It's a fun video, and I want us to kind of understand as I go forward. So if we could get the sound on that, thank you. These are about turtle races.
That's what I look like running a race. Easy goes. Now everybody's waited, waiting. So what's he going to say about that? Wasn't that fun? If I'm ever in um, Minnesota at that point, uh, Nisswa, I just might look it up. So every Wednesday, they come together. People, you saw that from uh, 48 states, right? 14 countries, 44 states. Amazing, huh? All these people come in, the turtle crosses the line. What's everybody do? Yeah, some of you guys did the same thing. Right? You guys cheered. Yay, wait for that. So I, I thought it was fun. My comment about that is we have this that goes on. And by the way, this is kind of like an internet sensation. Uh, you can find all kinds of videos. Um, just Google turtle races. And they're, they're all over the place. But what strikes me is that there are some people who think it's weird or they get upset when Christians worship too expressively on church on Sunday morning. I'll just let that set in for a second. I mean, it's okay to, to jump and holler and squeal and uh, everything at a turtle race, but let's kind of tone it down on Sunday morning, right? How many of you are fans of whatever, something? Come on, most everybody's a fan, right? You know, there was a huge worship service uh, a, a few weeks ago called the Super Bowl. It was a worship service, let me tell you, it was a worship service. Um, and I was cheering, I was there, and, and, and the fact that at one point, you know, it's not that I'm a... Chiefs fan. I'm, I'm still a Bengals fan. Um, you know, and, and we still consistently lose, but at least we're consistent. And, um, but I was watching, you know, I'm kind of a Patrick Mahomes fan. I think he's a great player. I like, I like watching him. He's fun to watch. And at one point, you know, this was in the second half because after, after the halftime, we thought they were going to get blown out. And Christina was like, oh, what's going on? You know, we're sitting there watching it. We're cheering. So at some point, you know, they make a great play, and I jump up and, like, cheer. You throw my hand up and forget the ceiling fans on. Bam! You know? And I thought about that, about how we get excited over things, which is okay. It's great to get excited over things. Dr. Larry Crabb says this. The core problem is not that we are too passionate about bad things. That's not the core problem. The core problem isn't that we get so excited about things that are just mundane. Rather, the core problem is that we are not passionate enough about things that are good. We're not passionate enough about the good things, such as how good God is, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, how we tend to suppress ourselves in times when we are celebrating that which is best. I mean, there is nothing better when you think about it than knowing that my life or your life was a sin-sick life, that we were on the road to hell, and Jesus Christ intersected with that in order to bring us into his family so that you and I could be saved, redeemed, and our life be turned around, and not only us, but we can tell other people, and that happened, and an eternal destination is changed because of what Jesus did, and that's something to get excited about, amen? Amen. Give the Lord praise for that. That's all right. Go ahead. Give the Lord praise for that. That's okay. Some of you started. Listen, one of the things that, that we do and that we need to do is give ourselves permission to express to God our thanks, our praise, whatever that is. If I can get excited about Patrick Mahomes throwing a pigskin across the field to another player who runs across a line, I should be able to get excited about Jesus Christ who took the keys of death, hell, and the grave and turn them over so that I can cross a finish line, a good and faithful servant, into an eternity. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. So here's what I want you to do. And if you have your handouts, I want you to look at this. I want to start with a question. The question that we're going to start with is this. How passionate are you in your 
pursuit of God, or you can say your worship of God. And I want you to take, this is just a self-assessment. You don't have to turn these into Pastor Ralph or anything. This is just a self-assessment, and it's a self-assessment. So don't assess your neighbor and don't assess your church. Assess yourself real quick. Just look at that. Would you check the box that how passionate are you in your pursuit of God? Are you alive or lifeless? Would you say you're involved or detached? Passionate or indifferent? Is your worship routine or real? Okay, and those are just for you to kind of self-assess where you are, and sometimes you find yourself in different places in life. Now, sometimes we don't want to mark things that look negative because we'll think, oh, somebody will think I'm not a Christian. Now, this isn't about whether or not you're a Christian. This is about where you are personally in your worship with God. And where you are personally in your pursuit of God and in your passion of following God and and, and making Him part of your life. And so that's where we're going to start and think about as we look at these passages of Scripture today. And wherever you are, I hope that you can go deeper. If you're able to mark all four on the positive side, we'll say that you're alive, involved, passionate, and it's real to you, and great then I want it to become more alive and more involved and more passionate and more real. Because I believe God wants that for us as well. So let's talk about this. There are two kinds of worship that we find in Scripture. We can actually break those out and and we can do a whole series on the different types. But suffice to say, there's active and passive worship. There's an active worship that pleases the heart of God and there is a passive worship that God doesn't accept. And so there's these two types of worship that we're going to look at today. I'm not going to go into all the other ones that we can find and all the nuances and all of that. I think it's important that we understand that God calls us to a type of worship, and that type of worship is an active worship. And God wants us there. God wants us there continually. There's only two times to worship, when you feel like it and when you don't. And I'm not being facetious. I'm being real. Those are the two times to worship God. Why? Not because we feel like it, but because, more than anything, He is worthy. So the context of this passage that we're going to look at in Samuel is that uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God to the children of Israel, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, David wanted to bring to Israel. And the reason he wanted it there was because he wanted the presence of God to be with the people of God. Okay? Why Why does Meredith and the worship team come up here Every Sunday, why do we get here at 8 o'clock in the morning while some of you are still in bed? Why do we spend some time practicing? Because we want the presence of God with the people of God, right? Why does Pastor Ralph and JP and the other ministers of the church give their time to prepare sermons and messages and talks? Well, because we want the presence of God with the people of God. I mean, because we know something, JP will tell you this, that kids' lives are changed in the presence of God, right? So we want that to happen. Why? Because we know that there are things that can't happen humanly that aren't possible but can happen in the presence of God. David understood this, and he wanted that ark, the the representative of the presence of God, back with the people of God, and he went to get it, and on the first trip, it was horrible. It was disastrous. People died. You know, they touch the ark and they're not allowed to do that. And so he's like, wait, wait, something's wrong. And so he says, let's, uh, let's turn aside, let's rest it. And he puts it in the house of a guy, and the guy's name is Obed-Edom. What a name, Obed-Edom. Obed makes room 
and the ark is there. And so David does his homework and begins to see what, what did we do wrong. And he talks to the Levites and he talks to the priest and he begins to understand what is needed. But David's heart was so intent on bringing the presence of God to the people of God. And so he goes back this time to do it right. And that's where we find our passage that we're going to look at. So in 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 15, here's where we start. Now, King David was told, Hey, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. Why? Because where the presence of God is, the blessings of God are. Amen? So David went down and he brings the ark up from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And here's the rest of that passage. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, they sacrificed a bull and and a fatted calf. That was worship. So they began to worship along the path. And they began to uh, uh, do the things that God had required. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord up with shouts. Everybody say shouts. And the sounds of trumpets. Say trumpets. So there were shouts and there was music and there was um, celebration and people were getting excited. because And the presence of God hadn't even arrived in Jerusalem yet, right? It hadn't even, hadn't even arrived in the city of David yet. People were already excited. Why? Because they knew what was coming. Somebody say amen. There's this excitement that's growing. So what we have is that David personifies active worship. David personifies active worship. This is, this is the person that we want to look at this morning to see what kind of worship that God accepts. Now, the Scripture tells us that he danced before the Lord with all of his might and, and the entire household of Israel. They were there. There's these shouts. There's music that's going on. And so the first thing I would tell you about this is that David expended his energy. You know, worship sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, requires something of us. And David expended his energy, and and he was dancing, he was excited, he was whirling about. You know, some some writers say he was doing the Ark of the Covenant boogie. I'm not sure if that's theologically correct, but he was cutting a rug, no doubt. He was allowing his excitement to overflow, and he was, and he was joining in with this worship of God and, and this, this way that he was, he was knowing that there was something great that was coming. In fact, in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, we see that this scripture we looked at a couple of weeks ago. We see David embodying this scripture. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. The scripture says that David did that. With all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. David expended his energy, all of his might in this moment was put in to worshiping the God he loved. And that, it requires energy. So if someone says, well, you can worship without putting anything into it, eh, not so much. Worship requires something of us. It was David who would later say, I will not give God that which cost me nothing. Think about that. I will not give God that which cost me nothing. Nothing. A number of years ago, it was coming up on Thanksgiving Day, and the customer service line at Butterball Turkeys got a phone call. And on the other end was a lady, and she said, hey, I want to know how long uh, turkey keeps in the freezer. And 
the customer service said, you know, if, you, if it's been frozen, it's, it's fine. You know, maybe you got it, whatever, a few weeks ago. If it's been frozen, it's fine. She said, no, I mean, I mean uh, how long will it stay there? She said, well, if it's frozen, it'll be fine until you thaw it. And she said, so it really doesn't matter as long as it's been froze? She says, well, kind of depends. What are you talking about? She said, well, I've had a turkey in the freezer for 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. And so the customer service said, well, I'll tell you what, you can eat it, it'll be fine. However, it's probably going to have no flavor, it'll be tasteless. And the response was, this is recorded in Butterball's, the response was, the lady says, all right then, I guess I'll just give it to the church. How many Butterball turkeys have we given to the church? How many butterball turkeys have we given to God in worship? Hello? How many times have we just given God something that really doesn't cost us much, that really doesn't have much flavor to us? We're not gonna, we want the good stuff. We're going to save that for ourselves. How many times do we give God that which cost us nothing or cost us little? Ouch, right? I'm guilty. So we've got this idea that David says, you know, I'm not going to give God that which doesn't cost me anything. I am going to give it all out. Now, now let me address something because I, I've heard this and this became real popular several years ago. Well, I worship God according to my personality. Okay. You can worship God according to your personality if you are worshiping God. But this has become a catchphrase for people who don't worship, who don't give to God, who don't expend to God, to say, I worship according to my personality, therefore back off and leave me alone. It don't work that way. In fact, let's get real, real uh, down to earth about it. You know Jesus came and died to save you from your personality? Amen? I mean, think about you before you were saved. Some of you were arrogant jerks. You say, well, how do you know that? Because your old man shows up every now and then. Hello? Right? And we got to crucify it all over again and take it back to God. Listen, God came to save you from your personality because your personality is fallen. And God says, wait a minute. You know what? I want to take out your heart of stone. I want to give you a heart of flesh. I want to do something in your life. I mean, you look at some people that have... Well, you look at the, look at the people in Scripture. The Apostle Paul dude was a murderer. What was his personality? To kill. Hello. And what did Jesus do? Well, he interrupted his life. How about that? And changed him. So listen, we can worship God according to our personality if we are worshiping God, but do not use that as an excuse to refrain from worship because you're just smacking God in the face. Okay? Everyone will worship God differently, and that's why there's all different modes and all different ways to worship God. Some people are exuberantly expressive. There are some people who are kind of meek and mild that I have known, but when they get into worship, their heart just pounds. They express God in, in incredible ways, and it's an amazing thing. So it's not about worshiping. When we worship God according to our personality, we remain in control. And that's tough for us. As humans, we want to be in control. We want to be the one calling the shots. You know, the song that we sing, my heart can't contain the weight of your name. 
Now, we sang that song a couple weeks ago, and I, I, was, I was in the balcony, and I was thinking about that, Meredith. And I sang that, and you know what, th- what came across my mind? I thought, God, I don't want to sing these words to you and it be a lie. I, I don't want to lie to you, God, while I'm singing to you. And so in that moment, I just said, God, I just want my heart to be cleansed. I want want to be whole before you, and I want my heart to overflow and my worship to overflow from a heart of gratefulness. And and it made a difference in that moment for me as I began to sing. And I think sometimes we just sing the songs that are, the, the lyrics that are on the screen, and we don't let them sink in, and we don't listen to what it's saying. And sometimes I wonder how often that we sing this to God, and, and we're really not singing the truth, right? Oh, we're singing Scripture, and we're singing the truth of Scripture, but sometimes it might not be true in that moment about us. And in that time, what God is saying, He's trying to take those lyrics, and He's trying to take those words, and He's trying to take maybe the words of a sermon that Pastor Ralph is speaking that we're saying amen to, but knowing that it's not real about our own life. And God's trying to take that, and He's trying to knock on our heart's door and say, hey, let's renovate this area. Let's get in here and do a HGTV spiritual thing on you, Right? Let's flip this flop, because there are times that I'm the flop, right? And God's saying, let's flip this. Let's make something good out of this, Willie. And I have to respond to God in a way that brings him honor. So I'm not trying to beat us up at all. The point is, I want us to experience the presence of God. I want to experience the presence of God greater. I want you. We want the people of God to experience the presence of God. And that's why we sometimes pressing in the worship, we actually have to press in the worship. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's hard because Satan doesn't want you there. He doesn't want you in the presence of God because he knows that you become a greater threat against everything he's doing the more you're in the presence of God. How about that? Amen? Amen. So the scripture tells us, So it says, and David wore a linen ephod, meaning he had abandoned his robes for the garbs of a common priest. And I want to address this misconception. I've heard all kinds of weird things about this passage. Heard people, you know, preach that, you know, David's David's uh, dancing in his tidy whiteies and uh, all kinds of all kinds of weird stuff. Just strange, strange stuff about this passage. So let me just address a misconception. So we're all on the on on the same page about this. So there are people who say, well, the scripture says, and they quote what David's wife said about him. And by the way, she was being facetious. Um, and, I, and I just want us to understand, first of all, the ephod, in every place that it is talked about in Samuel, the ephod is always placed over other garments, every place. So there's no reason to think in correct biblical interpretation that this is anything else. But here's the biggest thing. You might not know this, but there is a book in the Bible called 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles is a parallel account of 2 Samuel. It's the same thing, just written in two different accounts, two different ways, in order to get the full picture. So 1 Chronicles 15, 26 through 28. Here's the account of this, just to clear this up. It says, and because God helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. Sound familiar? We read that. And David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, and also were all the Levites who were carrying the Ark, and the singers, and Chaniah, 
the leader of the music and the leader of the choir, and David also wore a linen ephod. So all of Israel brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sounds of horns, trumpets, and cymbals, and made loud music on the harps and the lyres before the Lord. That's pretty clear. That is pre- that's what the Bible says about the account. So when you hear some other things that are kind of, kind of strange and weird, just, just go to that. You say, well, well, then why does the Bible even say anything about that? Because David was king. David would have been wearing royal robes. David would have been dressed to the hilt, representing his position and who he is. But David got to the place where David wanted nothing less than all of God's presence. And he wanted to celebrate that in the expression of his worship. So David removed his royal robe, demonstrating that there is no earthly position that supersedes the posture of expressive worship. Please get that. He wanted to let the people know he was king. He was the leader. David understood this. You might want to write this down. People will follow your example long before they follow your vision. He understood that. And he knew that as king, if he really wanted people into the presence of God and to experience them, he needed to do something that didn't set him away from the people, didn't put him up on this great throne. Yes, he was king, but he took off the kingly robes just to be dressed in a linen robe. He put away all the highfalutin things, and he said, I might be your king, but right now I am a subject of the king on high, and I am going to worship. And he put on the which was typically worn by the Levites and by the priest. He wanted to enter a place, and the Scripture tells us that as New Testament believers, we are all kings and priests before our God. And he says, I am going to just be like you are, but I want you to understand that I will give up every position that I have, every place of rule and authority that I have, just so I might be in the presence of the Almighty God, just so I might experience Him, because that means nothing to me if I can't have God's presence. Amen. He wanted not only to experience it for himself, but he wanted the people of God, and so he led by his example. He desired that people experience God more than anything else. That, as we will see, will cause him a problem, not personally, but we will see what happens. Jesus had an interesting um, talk with a woman in the New Testament. And after revealing her life and where God could intersect with her in an amazing way, he said the time is coming and is now, listen to this, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is looking for those who will worship Him like this. In spirit and in truth. Dr. Jack Hayford, he made the statement that When we look at the scripture talking about spirit and truth, let's understand that spirit talks about the expression of worship and truth speaks of the doctrine of worship. Therefore, everything that we express in worship and should be expressed in worship should always follow the guidelines of biblical truth and doctrine. It to Offset one without the other. To be expressive in worship without doctrine leads us into weird stuff. 
To be all doctrinally with no expression leads us into stagnation and legalism. And I think Dr. Hayford is on to something there. So we have David and his expression of worship. And then there's another passage that I think is just pretty awesome. You might want to write this down. I think it's, this is maybe on your, on your fill-in sheet. The expression of your worship, get this, multiplies the blessings of others. Wait a minute, I thought it was just for me. Well, it is for you, and it is for God. But it, it, it multiplies the blessings of others. And in verses 17 through 19, the Scripture says, They brought the ark of the Lord. They set it in its place inside the tent that David had put up for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. Now watch this. They're in a time of worship, and David is continuing this worship. And it says in verse 18, After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. Blessed. You see, there's something about our worship that blesses other people. Sometimes it is because they're blessed, because they see our example and they follow it and they, and they begin to worship in the same way. But the other thing that worship does, and you'll note that David intentionally blessed the people and then he gave them things. Worship has a way of making us generous. It has a way of opening our hearts up to, the, to other people so that God can bless them. It has a way of, of aligning our spirits with God so that we behave more like the heart of God. And that's what we see in David's uh, expression here. He blesses the people, which is probably a prayer that he prayed over them. I mean, there's something in, in, when you get into times of worship, and I'm not just talking about music. By the way, if you can't worship without music, there's another level for you to find. Worship doesn't require a song. It doesn't require music. It helps. Somebody say amen. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I'm, I'm a music person, obviously. But David began to express his love to God, and that flowed over to other people. Now, here's something that's not in your notes, but you might want to write down. Not everybody's going to be happy with your worship. You're laughing, Elaine. <clears throat> Elaine's going to say, give me the mic, I'll take it from here, Willie. Not everybody's going to be happy with your worship. Not everybody's going to be pleased that you're in the presence of God. Not everybody's going to look forward to seeing God do something in your life. There are just people like that. And David was married to one. He was married to one. So his predecessor, King Saul, had a daughter. And so his daughter knew what it was like to live in royalty. I mean, she knew what it, what it meant to be a king's daughter. And now, with David taking the throne, she's a king's wife. So everything that the kingdom has to offer and all the, all the benefits and everything that is, she knew what they were. She was, she was willing to take advantage of all of those. And so she personifies passive worship. Now, there has been a lot of thoughts about, well, how do you pronounce her name? Is it Michael? Is it, it's, it's Michal. That's how the Hebrews would have pronounced it. The C would have been silent. Michal or Mahal. So Michal doesn't like what she sees. She's not real happy about David. 
worshiping God. In fact, in 2 Samuel 6.16, and I think that's on the screen, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Mihael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. first thing we could say about this is that if uh, you don't have a heart of worship, you can get to be a despiser of worship. And that's where Michal was. So she had seen this. The word translated despised here evokes contempt or scorn or to be offended. She was offended at David's worship. She scorned his worship. Did not like it at all. Here's the passage. Verses 20 through 22. When David then returned home. So David's been in this great worship service. He's connected with God. He's so excited that the presence of God is among the people of God. And he's on cloud nine and he goes home. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and says. And just think of the most sarcastic tone that you've ever heard in your life. That's probably pretty close. Oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls and his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David's got a decision to make, right? I mean, she has just slammed his worship to God. He is excited. He is thrilled. He's been in the presence of God. And here comes the naysayers. Kind of reminds you of Abraham. Abraham, when he went to worship God back in Genesis, I think chapter 20, um, this is the first place that the word worship is ever used in the Bible. And he takes Isaac, and the scripture says that he leaves his servants at the bottom of the mountain. Why? Because sometimes you just got to leave the naysayers behind and pursue God. Amen? So here's what David says. David said to her, um, it was before the Lord that I chose, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house and has appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. He says, let me just put you in your place. I was celebrating before the Lord, the same one who chose me instead of your dad to lead this country, this nation, the same one who chose me instead of anybody from your household. There's almost this, girl, you're lucky to be here. Don't push it with me. Right? And he says this. So I will celebrate before the Lord. And by the way, I will become even more undignified than this. In other words, lady, you haven't seen anything yet. I was just warming up. I was just getting warmed up. Because there's a lot more in my heart that God's going to bring out. And he says, says to her, I will become even more undignified to this, and I will be, watch this, humiliated in my own eyes. Referring back again, laying aside his position. I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but for these slave girls that you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. Why? Because they will understand that the king has expressed a worship to a god that they can come to on the same level and worship. 
right? Because the ground at Calvary is all level. We all come in the same way. The old preachers used to say, there ain't no big eyes and little U's, right? And so here's this, now we have this kind of protagonist that's coming to the story, and, um, and she gives this over to David. Now here's what I want to tell you. I think there are four things that we can learn from her words, that we can keep in our own hearts, in our own minds, to understand. Let me give you four signs of a passive worshiper. Four signs of a passive worshiper. David was an active worshiper. Michal was a passive. She's almost an anti-worshiper. But let me give these to you. Number one, I keep my distance. I keep my distance. She was watching from the window. She was not among the people of God. She was not rejoicing over the presence of God coming in. She was sitting back in judgment, right? Just watching from the window, all the little people. All the people who didn't have her position, who didn't have... And then there was her husband. She couldn't believe he's acting that way. There's no way for a king to act. I'm not going to do that. Beware of becoming a worship spectator. Beware of becoming a worship spectator. One that just wants to passively be there. Secondly, the second sign of a passive worshiper is that I am critical of other worshipers. She became to the place, she came to the place where, think about, not only what she was saying against David applied to David, but it would have applied to everybody who was worshiping. Undignified worshipers. What's wrong with them? Right? They become critical of the way somebody else worships. I don't know why that person has to cry every time Meredith sings that song. I don't know why that youth group has to go up and stand up front. It's a good thing I'm elevated in the back so I can see the screen or they block my view. Be careful of becoming critical in your worship or becoming critical of others. When the heart of someone else is expressing their worship, you say, well, what if somebody gets out of line? Well, we have a pastor who can take care of that. Okay? Has there ever been worshipers that get out of line? Eh, possibly. But it's much more likely, instead of worshipers getting out of line and getting weird, that people are going to sit back and not participate. People, you say, well, I don't want that wildfire in my church. Let me tell you something. You get the real fire, you don't have to worry about wildfire. The real fire will burn it out. Amen, preacher. Amen. It's all right. I'll, I'll amen myself on that one. Number three, I exaggerate the issue. So she took his stance of setting aside his position, his royal robe, right? And she made the accusation of him disrobing and being vulgar. You see that? So she moved this issue into a place of exaggeration. And that's what people who don't have a heart for worship, that's what those, if, if we start getting hard toward God or hard toward people, a sign of a passive worshiper is that you exaggerate that. Right? I mean, somebody does this. 
And then they're going, I can't believe they were up there flailing their arms around everywhere. And Hold on, hold on. You know, be careful. Be very, very careful. Beware of turning your own preferences into a moral judgment, which is what she did. Turned her own preferences into a moral judgment. And this is probably the most critical number four. I value what people think of me more than what God does. I value what somebody else might say more than what the heart of God might say. In fact, I'm more concerned about what people think than what God's Word says. Here's what I find interesting about the Word of God when we're talking about worship. God, all through Scripture, says things like, lift holy hands to me. He doesn't say, lift holy hands to me if it fits your personality. He doesn't say, lift holy hands to me if you feel like it. Lift holy hands to me if it's your favorite song. Nothing. He says, lift holy hands to me. It's a command. You say, well, why would God do that? Because God understands that sometimes He has to create the commandment in order to get us doing the behavior that brings about the blessing. So God moves us through a process because He knows what's best for us. Jesus told a group of people, He said, if you refuse to worship me, I can make these rocks worship me. I can take something that has no mouth, no arms, no way of expression, and I can get more worship out of them than out of you. Right? Don't let a rock steal your praise. Come on. I mean, when God says, I can get more praise out of an inanimate object than some of my children in church, (laughs) that's an issue, right? That's a problem. That's That's something we have to deal with. And so we can get to this place where we, we're not obeying God, we're not listening to God. There's, there's tons of places. Just you, you, can, you can search out all the different ways that God talks about worshiping Him. Sing a new song unto the Lord, the Scripture says. Well, I don't know why we don't sing all the hymns that we've always sang, because the Bible says sing a new song to the Lord. Is there anything wrong with singing the old ones? Nope. But if you're not singing new ones too, then you're only half obedient. Well, and by the way, partial obedience is disobedience. Let that soak in for a second. (laughs) You see, our worship and our expression, our Christianity is is of utmost importance. C.S. Lewis said this, Christianity, if it is false, is of no importance at all. And if true, it is of infinite importance. But the one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Your relationship with God, your pursuit of God, cannot be moderately important. It's either not or it is. Right? Well, I don't believe that. Well, let me take you to the book of Revelation where Jesus tells an entire church, I would that you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to get rid of you. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because I can't stand the taste of being lukewarm, God says. Why? Because our life in Christ has to be of utmost importance. It can't be mediocre. It just, I mean, it's either is important or it's not, right? What we learn from her um, is that being a worship spectator has consequences. The scripture said, 
And Michal was the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Let me bring a, a spiritual component into this as the worship team comes. There is this idea that our worship brings about fruit in our life and in the life of the church and the life of others, right? The Scripture says that she had no children, no offspring. She gave birth to nothing but herself, her own selfish desires, her just anything. There was nothing beyond herself. And sometimes I wonder how much of the church, how how many times in in my life has God wanted to produce something, but because I was resistant or worship or not engaged, that I was barren in that moment. That I didn't bring about something for the glory of God or the blessing of others. Pretty amazing. We'll close with this story, and then um, then we're going to worship together for a moment. So this is the Jesus film. Perhaps you've, you've seen it. It's been translated in I don't know how many different languages. It's been shown all over the world. One of the things that they do is they will go into an area, and this area has no electricity, but they will take generators, and they have this big, huge blow-up screen that's bigger than life, and they show this in the people's language. And uh, Ben Patterson, he, he wrote an article about it in Leadership Journal. I wanted to share it with you. So there was this group of people, and they they had gone into the jungles of East Asia. They took it because there were some missionaries working in there, and they wanted to show the Jesus film. So these people, before the missionaries, had never even heard of Jesus. It was an incredible time. Not only had they never heard of Jesus, they had never seen a motion picture. We think about that, right? We've all grown up with it. They'd never seen a movie. And so they set up this giant screen and they're projecting this giant screen and they see it and and they're being able to hear it in their own language in one incredible evening. Everything becomes visible and real. He writes, Imagine how it felt to see this good man, Jesus, who healed the sick, was adorned by children. He was held without trial and beaten by jeering soldiers. As they watched this, the people became unglued. They stood up and began to shout at the cruel men on the screen, demanding that this outrage would stop. When nothing happened, they started attacking the missionaries running the projector. Perhaps he was the one responsible for this injustice. He was forced to stop the film and to explain, it's okay, the story's not over. So they settled back on the ground and got everything cooled down, holding their emotions Continuous check. Then came the crucifixion. Again, the people could not hold back. They began to weep and wail with such loud grief that once again, the film had to be stopped. And the missionary tried to calm them again and explained, the story's still not over. There's more. So they composed themselves and they sat back down to see what would happen next. And then came the resurrection. Pandemonium broke out this time, but for an entirely different reason. The gathering had spontaneously erupted into a celebration. The noise was now of jubilation, and it was deafening, he writes. The people were now dancing. They were slapping each other on the back, saying, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. 
And again, the missionary had to shut the projector off. But this time, he did not tell them to calm down. And he did not tell them to wait for what was next because the story was now alive in their lives and happening in their worship. Amen. And we've heard the story so often. And we're so familiar to it. Let me remind you that Jesus Christ took your sin to the cross and he buried them in a grave and when he rose, he left them there. (laughs) Amen? Uh, Would you stand with me if you're able? So what I want us to do in in closing, I, I hope you've learned something this morning. I first want you to understand that as one of several leaders in this church, and I feel like I can speak for all of them, we want the people of God to experience the presence of God. More than anything, we want the presence of God displayed in the life of the people of God. This song that they're going to lead us in, says this. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment, never wanting to leave. We'll do the offering when we're done here, guys. That's okay. I'm not here for blessing. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. But more than anything you can do, I just want you. And part of the song comes into a a lament where we have a moment just to express to God where we've blown it. I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I just sang another song. Take me back to where we started. I'm open my heart to you. I'm sorry when I've come with my own agenda. I'm sorry when I've forgotten that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I want to invite those of you who would like to. This altar is always open. The altar throughout Scripture has been synonymous with a place of surrender. And you can come. If you want to lay out before God, if you want to sit, it's okay. We want to give you permission to express your worship to God. Not just today, but from now on. Be expressive in that worship, to shout out, to give God thanks and glory and praise. If as they sing the song, you want to sit and make an altar where you're at, it's okay. But no matter what, hear me please, no matter what, worship. Just worship. Father, I thank you for this moment and this time. Bring us into your presence, mighty God. May our hearts be open to receive from you, to hear your voice, to sing your song. In Christ's name, you can switch over to the thank you.
Yes, Lord. Caught up in this holy moment. I'm caught up in this holy moment. Something about it, I just don't want to leave. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for messy. Jesus, you owe me nothing.
want you to just sit in his presence here for a moment. the Lord requiring of you. What is he desiring for you to surrender to him? To pour out. I just want Worship team, lead us in this. We're going to go through this one more time. I don't believe God's done yet. If you need something from God today, wherever you're at, I know, I know Willie invited you to the altars that they're always open. But hear me. to a place where we make a decision to engage, to be part of something. And if you want to experience a new level, something different in your life, I'm just going to invite you to come to worship for a moment. Push, push in beyond the comfort zone that you've lived in. something new, something
Joseph up. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Someone else that has something you feel like God's just revealed in our time of worship. Miss Martha. God and I am pleased. That's the message God wanted us to hear today. Amen. Is there another? Something you just had this impression during worship and you'd like to share it? So those of you who don't know, I'm his son-in-law. Um, my name is Michael, but I wanted to speak to you guys, actually. 
there were two distinct points in worship where I could see the vibration of your worship. I could see the vibration of your worship. I could see the vibration of your worship. And they worked together. And so basically what I saw as I was worshiping, I could see, I just saw buildings. I'm not going to say strongholds, but that's what I saw was buildings. And yours would go out because yours was low. Yours would flood that ground and it would shake the foundation. Willie, yours would come in when you were worshiping on the guitar or the piano and it would come in and it would hit that middle ground because you were playing the stuff that would fill. You were playing and yours was the high stuff because of the guitar and yours was taking the top levels out and it all worked together and then you combined them all as you flowed and then you guys all filled in where they did it. And it was the worship that goes out just like how the worshipers went out before the ark. Your voices were the shouts of the people that the instruments didn't catch. Because he didn't just say, worshipers, you play your little thing and then you blast your blast and then you're done and the walls will fall down. He said, after that, everybody shout. So there was the extra from the people. Just like how Willie said, worship requires something of us. I'm just encouraging you and letting you know when I watched you it was worship but you were playing and having fun but it was worship yours was the same way I'll watch you, you'll sit there and then you'll start to play and you get into this like Joe mode of this is great I'm having so much fun and God says keep that going man that's what I want because that's worship you're not just playing said, I'm the Lord your God and I am pleased. I heard that too for here. I heard this is a sweet aroma. And I like it. start getting into uh, the gifts of the Spirit poured out, being poured out, they are transformative in nature and that they are meant to make 
connections in the lives of the believers to take them to a new level, to take them deeper into things. And so when God begins to move on someone and they step out and pray for someone else, it is not meant to make them feel bad. It's to lift them up. It's to empower them to live differently and to be different. You know, that's why when our young people who work so well with this, you know, as worship's going on, they easily just move out of their ranks and there's never just one of them. If it, if one starts to move, there's two or three that follow. And, and, uh, and they'll gather around someone, they'll begin to pray and it begins to lift someone up. Okay, that's what the gifts of the Spirit are meant to do. They're, they're to build us up to increase the awareness of God's presence in our lives in new ways. And so I, I thank our, our worship team, all those that prayed and those that responded. I just encourage you, just as Willie was sharing there, this is not a, a, a Sunday morning thing. This is an everyday occurrence that we have opportunity to push into the things of God. Whether you, whether you have music or not, music helps. But if, if we're if our worship is relegated to a place that we only have worship, then we miss out on those, those deep, intimate moments. And that's why I want us to experience a moment of silence, that his presence is, is just as powerful in the silence. And so God is doing something. We must prepare our hearts to receive. So. Ushers, if you would come, we're going to wait upon you for our morning tithes and offering. There are things coming up in the weeks ahead. We have Elevate coming up. JP, you need to say anything about that? And uh, if for some reason you cannot be there and as an adult on Wednesday night, you need to see JP today because there are some things that he has to have permission from you as an adult. It's not just enough that a teenager tells him he's going. This is ages 12, 6th grade to seniors. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this blessing uh, of a service that you have allowed us to be part of. Now we come to worship you in our giving. We pray that you would bless this offering, this uh, tithe. 
Father, that as we return it to you, you would multiply it to meet the needs of your kingdom. We thank you for it. We ask for this in your name. Amen. <laughs>